So uh, our kids are already in kids' ministry, and we are going to go into the message in just a second and have the Bible reading. I think Shelley is going to do that. Um, but before, uh, as Shelley's coming up, uh, we are, both of our churches, as well as another f- uh, three or four churches, are in a time of prayer together, uh, 11 days of prayer as part of a campaign, a prayer campaign called Thy Kingdom Come. And uh, South Mandra, it's really exciting that you've got your prayer room or your prayer space running over the next six days. I think your roster's almost full. Our roster's still very um, empty, uh, although we did have a few more slots open. So anybody at Billabong who wants to uh, sign up for a slot in the prayer room, we'll say a bit more about that later. But it's really a privilege uh, to be joined together in prayer over these next uh, eight, uh, seven or eight days. Uh, we started Thursday, just gone, the Feast of the Ascension. And... Uh, Uh, It's exciting. God's doing some really good things. So we're going to continue on with our series in Joshua, which both of our churches started, I think, five weeks ago now. Uh, We started in the book of Exodus. Uh, Mike and Francis and Pete down in South Mandra started in the book of Joshua. And today we're in chapter six uh, with a very familiar story, which Shelley's going to read to us. Thanks very much, Shelley. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, March around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, The trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. 
On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests shout, sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. This is the word of the Lord. Joshua uh, chapter 6, we had an extra little bit thrown in there that wasn't on the screen. Uh, but before we start, before I pray and we get into the message, um, I wanted to make a note to those at South Mandra. Uh, you, you'll notice that um, one of your screens is a different size to the other. And on one of them, I look a little wider. It's not because I've put on weight since last Sunday. It's just the tech. So um, just wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for this uh, time together this morning as your people. Thank you for your word uh, passed down to us through the generations and so readily and easily accessible for us. And I pray that as we, we look at this passage of scripture from the book of Joshua this morning as a continuation of this theme we've been in together, that you would speak to our hearts, Father God, that you would reveal something of who you are to us and that you would uh, still our minds and our souls and our hearts to be able to hear from your Holy Spirit this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use these words I've prepared and that you would take over and that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, the Battle of Jericho. It's a familiar story. Uh, many, if not most of you, will have heard this story before, maybe in Sunday school. Maybe you remember the song, uh, right? Anybody, anybody know it? Uh, Joshua, uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Hey, there we go. So kind of familiar. Thing about this this story and stories like this, which do become so familiar, is that um, it doesn't always mean it, we capture what, what really is going on, what the meaning of the story is. First of all, Joshua did not fight the quote battle of Jericho, uh, like the song says. The song, uh, sorry, the not the song, the whole event is a demonstration of God's power. It's not a, not a battle at all. Joshua only needed to be obedient to what God was saying, and, and God would demonstrate his power. This particular uh, story, is, is, uh, this event, is significant because it represents the Israelites inheriting the whole land that God had given them. So, so Jericho was only the beginning. God has said, I'm giving you this, this land, this promised land. But that first step of entering Jericho was, was just the first step. That, that, they had to make this step if they were to keep going and uh, take their inheritance. So under Joshua, the people of Israel would go on to conquer many, many more cities. There, if you read on the chapters after this, there's many cities that they take. They, they, they go into this one and that one. And they keep referring in all of these cities they take over back to Jericho. Jericho is the reference point. It was the first step. It was the starting point in entering the promised land. 
this demonstration of God's power that showed he wasn't asking them to fight for this land and he'd just kind of give them a helping hand. The, the scripture says he had given them this land. He'd given them the promised land, given them Jericho for them to step into. There's nothing about the strategy to take Jericho that is a military strategy. There's no come from this angle or do this or use this approach. It's 100%. Here's what I want you to do. Will you trust me? Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. Will you trust me? And this is often the life of faith, isn't it? Right? We, we listen to God and what he wants of us and then obeying him, even though everything in our rational mind says, I know better. That's the life of faith. And we've got challenges like that in our own lives where we, we, we know we need to trust God, but it's, it's like, well, but logic says this. We've got challenges like that in our churches, in our congregations, in our denominations. But I wonder if you've ever considered why did Joshua trust God and not hesitate to do what he said? Why didn't Joshua at least say, hey, God... Are you sure we shouldn't bring some weapons along? Hey, God, are you sure we shouldn't take a, you know, go at it from this angle? Hey, God, maybe could we have a second consideration here? Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've heard this story portrayed as uh, the Israelites doing a bunch of very random things. Okay, they would do some marching, and we blow some trumpets, uh, and then because they obeyed these very random things, God does a miracle. Maybe you've heard it thought about that way. Well, yeah, Joshua obeyed, but it's all just a bit strange. The seven days marching around, the seven times on the seventh day, the ram horns blowing constantly, the long blast on the horn at the end. What is all that about? Anyone wondered that before? Not just me, okay. Maybe you've heard, well, it's symbolic. Seven is the number of completion. Seven days, seven times on the seventh day, they marched around the city. God was saying, it's like God was saying, I will give you this city completely. I will give you this land completely. This starts the completion of your liberation from slavery. Today is my promise to you, which will come to pass holistically. And that's true. It is symbolic and that is kind of what's happening here. But it's also a very ceremonial thing that's happening. The priests, right, the priests are going around. They're the ones that blow the trumpet. The Ark of the Covenant's there, the horns. It's like the whole thing is a bit of a, a celebration, not a battle. Because God has said, again, I have told you to go into Jericho and take it. No, I have given you Jericho. Not go bust in, take it over and I'll help. It was a ritual. It was almost like a festival was taking place. It was like they're celebrating what God had done. Or in this case, they're celebrating what God would do. There's something very profound about praising God for what he's done. Something very profound about giving God glory, recognising his faithfulness uh, and, and, and keeping the focus on God and, and not us. It, gives us. it keeps us hopeful. It keeps us trusting when we say, God, I praise you for what you've done. But there's something even more profound about praising God for what he's not yet done. We, yes, we're meant to petition God and, and say, God, I cry out to you for the desires of my heart, for my friends, my family, for healing, for provision, for salvation. But when we praise God for the things that he is yet to do, 
not just what he's already done. It's, it's an act of faith. It's like, God, I don't know exactly what or, or how or what you're doing here, but I know you're good. I know what you're doing is good, so thank you. Thank you, God, I praise you. That's a really powerful thing. And I want to talk a little bit more about this next Sunday, uh, on Pentecost Sunday, because while Easter is a grand celebration we look back to, uh, to say God, uh, God has overcome sin and death through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Pentecost is a celebration of what God's done and will continue to do and is still doing when his people pray and seek him. So that's next week on Pentecost Sunday. Really looking forward to that and we'll be uh, connecting with South Mandra again next Sunday. But today, Joshua comes to Jericho. God gives the instructions and Joshua understands, okay, it's symbolic. It's like a, it's like a ritual. It's like a celebration, a, a ceremony, uh, almost celebrating what God's going to do here. It's not a battle. It's a demonstration of God's power. Now, that's all very well, but don't you think it's still a little random? And there's quite a few specifics in here. Blow the trumpets this way. Blow it this many times. Do seven times and seven days. and uh, Rams. Like, there's all these things. And, and I, I'll admit, if I was Joshua, I'd still be asking questions. Okay, this, we'll do this, but why, why all these interesting details, God? What, why, why this, why that? I'd be asking those questions unless there's something about these instructions that Joshua knows that we don't. Uh, at the Billabong, I preached on this uh, passage, I think about a year ago, and pointed out how, how Joshua had the instructions from God. But he only gave them bit by bit to the people, the 40,000 men around him. Lest they go, um, the plan is what? <laughs> you want us to do what, Joshua? It's, it's a bit weird. I now realise... Why that is. Why did Joshua just plan, uh, plans bit by bit? There is something Joshua knew that the rest of them probably didn't. Or if they did know, they didn't quite grasp the significance of it. Remember the journey so far, right? Joshua was a student of Moses, right? And so this is going back to the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, etc. Um, and Joshua was his student, his disciple, and due to the disobedience of the people of Israel, they ended up in the desert for 40 years. Right? No short amount of time. 40 years. Joshua and Caleb are the only Israelites to make it to the end. They're the only ones to make it to this point, where they go into Jericho and then start to enter the Promised Land. All the rest of them are younger men. They weren't around in those days when, when Moses was... Uh, leader back, uh, back on like Mount Sinai, for example. But Joshua was around. And he heard all that God said to Moses, whether it was firsthand standing beside Moses or at the base of the hill or something, or whether it was secondhand when Moses would come back and say, this is what God said to me. Joshua was there. And as I, was, I was reading through Exodus. Like I was in the preparation for this series in those first few weeks where we journeyed through the early life of Joshua. I was reading through Exodus and Leviticus, okay, I'll skip Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Ju okay, I'll skip some of Deuteronomy. It's quite long. Um, but I noticed something in the book of Numbers. So turn with me, if you have your Bible, or you can watch it on the screen. Numbers chapter 10. This is now more than 40 years ago. 
And it's right after, the context is, it's right after the pillar of cloud and fire at night was established over the tent or the tabernacle, this place of meeting God. And, and the, if you remember the story, when the cloud moved, they were to move with it. Uh, when that cloud stopped, that, that represented God's presence, they were to stay and set up camp. Then we read this in the following chapter, chapter 10 of the book of Numbers. Now the Lord said to Moses, Make two trumpets of hammered silver for the calling, for calling the community to assemble and for signalling the breaking of camp. When the trumpets, both trumpets are blown, everyone must gather before you at the entrance of the tabernacle. But if only one trumpet is blown, then only the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel, must present themselves to you. When you sound the signal to move on, the tribes camped on the east side of the tabernacle must break camp and move forward. When you sound a signal a second time, the tribes camped on... So see, there's all these instructions in there. Uh, you must shout short blasts as the signal for moving on. But when you call the people to an assembly, blow the trumpets with a different signal. We'll come back to that. Only the priests, Aaron's descendants, are allowed to blow the trumpets. It's a permanent law for you to be observed from generation to generation. So there's a bunch of instructions there on how to use the trumpets to signal different instructions for the Israelites as they were trying to get, because a lot of people, they're gathering them and moving with the cloud and all that. It's all quite irrelevant, to be honest, except for this one thing that's very, very easy to miss. Short blasts of the trumpet meant one thing. Do you remember? Move or move on. But a long blast of the trumpet meant gather the people, come together. Now you don't see this in most translations because what we read said short blast was move on and another sound was, was to gather the assembly. But what it actually means in the Hebrew is a long blast. Now what was Joshua instructed to have the priests do as the people marched around Jericho? Blow the horns continuously. If I can have uh, Wayne and Sienna come and help me. That would be great. So they, they were instructed to blow the, the horns continuously in Jericho. And, and that, of course, was not one long blast as they marched the whole way around. You'd drop, you, know, you wouldn't be able to do that. It, it, was, it was this. It was a... Let's, let's do some just short blasts continuously. Okay. Right? Thanks, Cam, for the cornet. I hadn't blown this thing for about 10 years until this morning. Um, so that sound literally meant what? Move. Move on. Keep moving. And essentially it was referring to moving with God, right? following the cloud back in Numbers. But then what happens around Jericho the seventh time around on the seventh day? The seventh time around, this is verse 16. I think we might have this one up. Yep. When the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord had given the city. In this translation, you miss it. You just go, well, what's that referring to? What kind of blast was it, though? Verse 5, in, a, in certain translations, clarify. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Right, let's do a long blast.
We knew Wayne would win that one. <laughs> Thank you very much, Wayne and Sienna. Can we give them a hand? The long blast meant gather the people, bring the assembly together, come together. Something's about to happen. Come and listen. Joshua knows from those 40 years ago exactly what these short blasts and long blasts meant. And then look at what follows in the passage, again, from the book of Numbers, 40 years before Jericho. When you arrive in your own land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm with trumpets. Then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. Blow the trumpets in times of gladness too, sounding them at your annual festivals in the beginning of each month. And blow the trumpets of your burnt offerings and peace offerings, these celebrations and rituals. The trumpets will remind your God of his covenant with you. I am the Lord or Yahweh, your God. So these seemingly random instructions to march and blow trumpets are not so random after all. They're not just random things. God said, oh, we'll do a bit of this, do a bit of that. They're part of the divine instructions of God to his people. The unique ways that he led them in the past. But it may only be Joshua and maybe Caleb who recognised this or at least remembered the moment that God said to Moses, this is how it will work. This is what the instructions are to be. And this is what leaders and disciples of Jesus who are called to impart faith into others must do. See, Joshua was now... Uh, the one who was to impart faith into these 40,000 other men to help them know that there was something far less than random about all of this. That God was in this. God was giving them instructions with a purpose and a meaning. And we are called to impart faith into others in the same way. And to do this, we must remember. We must look back. We must look back to treasure the words and the works and the ways of God. So when others can't see it, or when others won't see what God is up to, we say, this is what God has done. He's in this. I've seen this before. He led us in a cloud and a pillar of cloud and fire. He gave us instructions to help us and keep us on track. He provided for all of our needs. And even though you can't see the logic right now, you can trust God. At the Billabong, we called this series in the life of Joshua, Fear or Faith. Fear or Faith. But the thing about fear when it comes to stepping into the unknown and not understanding what God's doing is that we can't always muster up faith on our own. We don't always have the knowledge of what God's done before and and how he's worked before that gives us the confidence to have faith now. For that, we need others. For that, we need Joshua's who have been around a little longer than us and seen a little more than we've seen so they can impart faith in us. At the Billabong, we started this series in the book of Exodus. When, Moses, sorry, when Joshua was young and he was learning under Moses and he made mistakes, but he was mentored by the best. He was mentored by Moses himself. But now Joshua is the guy 
who others need to look up to, to look to, to have faith. Because Joshua was there. He was there 40 years ago. And even something as seemingly random as the way a trumpet was played made more sense to Joshua than it did to the 40,000 men he led. And so he could say to them with confidence, God's got this, guys. Trust me. He knows what he's doing here. The seven days, the seven times, the short blast, the long blast. You don't get it. I understand. But don't worry. You'll see. He's, he's in this. And he's saying, go with me. I want to encourage you this morning. If you're an older Christian, whether that means you have been walking with Jesus for a long time or you are uh, older in years or both. If you're not young anymore and you don't feel like, you feel like, I don't really have anything to offer. Don't think that way. We need you. We need you, older Christians, to impart faith into the next generation. Because when we see just a wall and some trumpets and a little bit of morning exercise, you see a great victory for God. You see an opportunity for God to do again what he did before. We need you to impart in us trust in God, to impart that to the next generation. Because when we think we can do amazing things with our hands and our minds and our technology and our wits and all of the stuff we have, you see what only God can do that no human could ever dream of doing on their own. We need you to pass faith to a generation that looks confident but is crippled by fear. This world is crumbling at the hands of my generation. We need those who have gone before to pass on faith and trust in God. Maybe you don't feel like you have much faith to pass on. Well, what have you, what have you seen God do? Maybe it's a lot, maybe it's a little. Either way, I'm speaking to everyone now, whether you're young or old, full of faith or not. There's someone in your life, brother and sister in Christ, there's someone in your life who's not yet experienced the goodness of God like you have. Whether that's a little bit or a lot. So you have something to share. You have something to testify about to someone who's younger in the faith or does not yet trust in Jesus. So look back. What is it that you've seen God do? We get off track when we just look back only in order to reminisce and wish we were there again. We can look back for the wrong reasons and go, you know, let's just hold on to what we once had and still have a little bit of. That's why so many churches get a bit stuck and stop reaching the next generation, then eventually just try to hold on to what they have. But that won't be us, Billabong. That won't be you, South Mandra, because we don't look back at what God's done just to wish we were there again. We look back at what he's done so we develop faith so we can do it again. Joshua, old man Joshua, he saw the signs. These are not random things. These seven days, the long and the short blasts. He's like, I think God is in this. But there's one thing for me that doesn't quite match up still. In Numbers 10, God commands Moses to make two trumpets of what? Hammered silver. 
A bit like this trumpet here. Maybe with all, without all the valves and things. And these are the trumpets that get blown in short and long blast. Yeah, no, no, not good at that. Right, in, in Numbers chapter 10. That mean, what's this one? Yep, move forward and gather together, bring the assembly together. But in Joshua 6, although the short blasts and the long blasts are there, it's not silver trumpets. Some translations make this hard to see. In fact, what we read before, it kept saying trumpets, 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 which we think something like this. But it's actually not that. It's, remember, ram's horns. And again, nothing in the scriptures is accidental. It's not like they went, oh, let's just change that up. Why not, why not a horn instead of a trumpet? No, why not silver trumpets? Why, why was it ram's horns? Well, let's go back 40 years again, this time to the book of Leviticus, the one I skipped over. So thank God for commentaries that took me back here. And even if I had read through Leviticus, I probably still would have missed this. Because have a look at the NIV. In Leviticus 25.9, then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the 7th month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. But it's not a trumpet like we think trumpet. The word in Hebrew there is ram's horn. So what's this about? Take a look in a better translation from the beginning of chapter 25. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land, I am giving you, giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years, you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath year of complete rest is the Lord's Sabbath. And it goes on. The Sabbath year is to rest and rejuvenate. The land kind of heals and we heal and we rest. And then you go back again. But then in verse 8, it says this. In addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. And then on the Day of Atonement in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee, meaning anniversary or celebration, year for you, when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. When I read this, I was just like blown away. Do you, do you see it? Right, the seven days around Jericho and the seven on the seventh day. The seven times and the seven, that seven, lots of seven, the seven, like it, it all links in. And then the long blast, not of the silver trumpet, which was ultimately just a communication tool, just an instruction giver. The long blast of the ram's horn. A declaration of jubilee, of freedom, of liberation from slavery. And on Jubilee, all debts were cancelled. It was a year of freedom. This was no ordinary battle at Jericho. This wasn't a battle at all. This was God saying, I've freed you. And I'm sending you back into the land that belongs to you. 
and this freedom we have received, friends. This freedom we have received because of his great love. This redemption from sin. This wonderful and radical salvation. This is what we look back to and testify about, saying, this is what God has done in my life. He can do it in yours. I mean, you may not have a single story of something wonderful that God has done in your life. Nothing special, nothing flashy, nothing miraculous, no healings or miracles or, or, or provisions or anything. But if you know Jesus, if you have his spirit dwelling within you because you've believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth, that's what he's done. That's your testimony. He's rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you, freed you into his glorious light both now and for all eternity. Friends, Jesus paid, died to pay the price of your sins. Sins which separate you from a holy God. And then he rose again, conquering death to give you new life, an abundant life with God for all eternity. And if anyone here is at the Billabong today or at South Mandra this morning, and you, you can't see God, and, and, and you're not sure he's real, or you're not sure he's good, or you're not sure he's loving or faithful. I want to I tell you this morning, I want the privilege of imparting a little bit of faith this morning and telling you he is good. He is faithful. He is loving. I was 16 years old when someone at South Mandra Uniting Church gave me a little book and got me thinking, maybe this God does love me and does have a great plan for my life. And then at a local youth group, I chose to trust him. And 18 years later, I know for a fact it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Jesus saved me, and I want that for you too. So I want to invite you to pray this morning, especially if you don't know where you're at with God. I'm just inviting you this morning to trust him, to allow me the privilege of imparting just a little bit of faith in you. Now, we don't do this all that often at the Billabong, calling for a, like a response. We've certainly never done it over a live stream to another church. But I just felt that today is a day of salvation, a day of choosing to trust him because he offers you freedom from sin, freedom from guilt and shame, freedom into a new life in the arms of a loving God. And so if you're here this morning, if you're watching online in your home, if you're at South Mandra, wherever you are, and that's you, I need to trust Jesus. Either you've walked away from him for some time or you've never made this decision. I just want to invite you to echo this prayer I'm going to say in your heart after me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your son to die in my place. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Free me from the burden of sin and shame. Fill me with your spirit so that I can live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for new life. My life is now yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that.